With 109 left in the third quarter, the Vikings faced a second and 10. We were protecting a two-point lead in a meaningless game, and yet it was one that ended up feeling surprisingly important given the back-and-forth nature. On this play, Detroit decided to bring an all-out blitz. The Lions brought eight men, meaning that there was one more player than Minnesota could handle. Generally speaking, having seven, having seven blockers for eight pass rushers isn't a good plan for success. What the pressure also did, though, was lock Minnesota's receivers into true man-to-man coverage since there was no one left to help the corners. Now, Jefferson, who deserves a ton of respect, certainly got respect from his corner. Detroit opted to have their corner have a five-yard cushion at the top of the route, making it relatively easy for Jefferson to catch the ball for a 15-yard gain. With those yards, Jefferson broke the NFL's all-time rookie receiving record. Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. As our intro mentioned, we are Notes from the North, the official podcast of the Vikings Gazette. We're proud to partner with VikingsTerritory.com, Purple PTSD, and the Purple Territory Radio Network. If you're looking for great Vikings content, be sure to stop by those sites, and of course, VikingsGazette.com. And Kyle, you mentioned in the intro story, uh, Jefferson breaking this record. Uh, I think one of the things I want to highlight is that I'm, I'm excited that we finally get to cover a win. Uh, we haven't actually been able to to record a podcast post-game that's talked about a win yet, so uh, that's great. Although, anyways, maybe Vikings fans feel mixed results about, about winning. But anyways, Jefferson's rookie year and in and, and this game really solidified uh, – just just a fantastic season from from the rookie. Yeah, he was excellent, like from basically from start to finish. And he so this game, I um, mean, you know, he went over 100 again. Yeah, I think he had nine catches, you know, on the season. He was. Yeah, truly excellent from start to finish. 88 catches, 1400 yards and seven touchdowns. Now, the 1400 yards, that's the most ever by a rookie receiver uh, in the Super Bowl era. So that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and especially when you keep in mind, he didn't even start the first two games, right? And so he did get in a little bit and he still did produce a little bit in those opening two games, but he didn't start and he didn't get as many snaps as he probably should have had. Uh, But even still, he finished with those numbers. And Sam and I were just talking about this, looking at pro football reference. Jefferson finishes fourth in the NFL in receiving yards, which is it's an extraordinary feat when you think about the fact that, so you just look at this list and the names that he's with Jefferson's 21 years old. He didn't start the opening two games. He didn't have the off season. He didn't have any of that stuff. And, and I know everyone's dealing with that, but it's different for a rookie, right? Like the guys who are above him, Stefan Diggs, Travis Kelsey, DeAndre Hopkins. Diggs is 27. Kelsey's 31. Hopkins is 28. These guys have all been in the NFL for a long time. They all know what they're doing. And they're all, I mean, they're all excellent. I'm not trying to take away anything from them, but I think it's extraordinary that Jefferson is right up there with these guys producing stats close to on par with these guys, a little bit below, but close to on par with these guys. He's ahead of Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, Allen Robinson, Tyree Kill, tremendous players. He's ahead of these guys. And when you look, one thing that's really, really important in my mind is you look at, so Jefferson has 88 receptions. Everyone above him, everyone in the top five has more than 100. 
So Jefferson's efficiency is huge. He, he's getting 15.9 yards per reception, and that's better than anybody else in the top five. And so he's making the most of his opportunity. He didn't even, so again, he didn't even start the two games. And then when he did play, he, this is the Vikings. The offense runs through Dalvin Cook, quite literally. And then there's also Adam Thielen to contend with. And of course, you know, this emphasis on balance. And that's, you know, in many ways that can be a good thing. But the end result is Jefferson gets way less opportunity than uh, some of these other top end receivers. And yet he's still producing at a clip that's pretty much on par with them. And with everything that he's encountered, uh, I just think it's an extraordinary accomplishment what he's done this year. Uh, And then to, I mean, on that particular play in the Detroit game, I mean, they're Detroit's bringing the house. It's it's an eight eight man blitz, and when you have, I think I was reading recently, um, Arif Hassan with the Athletic has a really good article talking about how when the blitz brings one more man than there is protection. So there's eight rushers, only seven blockers. We now we therefore have one unblocked man. Well, who's responsible for that man? It's the quarterback, and so the quarter the quarterback has to recognize that this this protection doesn't actually uh, protect me, right? Because the defense is giving us more than we can handle. And so then what the quarterback has to do, then the quarterback is thus responsible for that man. And the quarterback has to know, okay, I need to get the ball out extremely quickly. And this is where I need to go with the ball. And of course it was Jefferson. And, and Jefferson, he did, he get that cushion from his corner, uh, which probably made it easier than it should have been. But it is a testament to how well he's played so far as a rookie. Yeah, really. It it uh, I think that coming into the season, it would probably would have been a real question of who's the number two receiver, right? You've got Thielen and who's number two. And even as you look at these stats, like, is he really number two? Or or like, this is like, you got two, two top kind of 1A, 1B receivers, as, as you've mentioned before. Like, this is yeah. a huge, huge blessing, especially when you when you get playing against teams it's hard to shut down two receivers usually if, if one guy gets extra attention then then you've got another guy that's that's gonna be more open exactly and I think from Minnesota's perspective Minnesota would say we have a 1a and a 1b but one thing that is kind of interesting that I just thought of when Sam was saying that was that I mean at least against I think it was against the Saints uh they threw Marshawn Lattimore at Jefferson which would suggest that they think that Jefferson's the number one. We're going to put our young stud long corner on your number one guy. And before Lattimore was always matched up on Thielen. Now, I don't know if maybe they made this because I think Thielen get the best of him in these past few games. I mean, Thielen's a pretty crafty route runner. And so maybe that's what went into their decision-making. I don't know, but it is interesting to see. So when you go into a game it's a little different for Detroit because they don't actually have anybody right now who's very good at corner, but it's, it's interesting to see when someone has a true number one corner, who do they decide to put them on? And, and that will tell you about, so around the NFL, we think that, you know, Jefferson's the real number one. And that seemed to be the case in the saints game. And, and yeah, like, I think that obviously you, sometimes teams match up different corners because of size advantage or speed or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jefferson and Thielen doesn't feel like they are too different in terms of their dynamicness. Uh, Jefferson may be a little bit longer, um, yeah. but but yeah, it it is just a neat. It's a it's a huge blessing, I think, just to have this. And and you look at some of these teams, um, 
yeah, they're they're in a really great spot in terms of their receiving core, uh, in terms of having those top two guys. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to bring up about Jefferson. So you have this context about, you know, you have the kind of the raw stats, 88 catches. It's way less than what uh, other top receivers are getting and the targets are, are less as well. One thing I want to mention, so I wrote an article for a site called Last Word on Sports, Last Word on Football uh, Department. And I wrote an article about what, what does success mean for Justin Jefferson in, in his rookie season? And this was back in August. Uh, and so, of course, I was wildly off, I think, along with everybody else. But one thing I wanted to bring up was when I was doing my research for this article, so Shiel Kapadia, I don't know if I pronounced the gentleman's name correctly, but he's a, a national NFL writer for The Athletic, and he does really excellent work. Uh, and he found, so he was assessing rookie wide receivers, and he was talking about this, and he was found that over the past 10 years, there's been 34 receivers chosen in the first round. Okay, so 34 first-round receivers in a 10-year span. Only five of those 34 have ever gone or ever went over 1,000 yards. So it's, it's a pretty distinct minority who have done that. And I kind of use that evidence to suggest, okay, this is a run-first team. Thielen's still number one. Jefferson, if he got anywhere around 700, 800, that'd be a humongous success, was my rationale, given what uh, I was reading and the history and yada, yada, yada. But man, oh man, I was wrong. And uh, Jefferson pretty much had doubled uh, the numbers that I would have said. If he if he finished the year with 40 catches and 700 yards, I would have said he had a tremendous rookie season. And historically, you could probably make a pretty legit case for that actually being true. Uh, but man, he exceeded expectations uh, left and right. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And I think that uh, at some point we'll have to have some conversations about this offensive rookie of the year yes. um, piece, because I think there's a, a, a very real debate. I think that sometimes we create debate in sports just for the sake of it, because it's fun. But I think there's a real debate here between him and Herbert, because like you said, both of them have had rookie setting um, seasons in their own, in their own manner. And so I think it's a fascinating thing, but, but for him to be a Pro Bowl selection and for him to, to be up here and, and to break those records is, is yeah, just more than you could have hoped for at the start of the season. So Certainly. that's fantastic. Moving into second down, uh, talking about Zimmer's defense. Like you felt he was coming in or he was confident coming into the season that the Vikings could still be strong defensively, but this just, it wasn't a good season for the Vikings defense. No, and, and he's admitted as much. And he, uh, I think, I don't know if we, I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but just, you know, he, that, he has that quote that's kind of come back uh, it doesn't it hasn't aged very well, but he had that quote at the beginning of the season where he said something to the effect of, you know, I've never had a bad defense and I don't intend on starting now. Well, he has a bad defense and he's admitted that. And again, there are reasons for that. Uh, but then you also, it's, it's tough. There's got to be some sort of balance in the sense that, I mean, Minnesota isn't the only team who's dealt with injuries. And Minnesota isn't the only team who's dealt with COVID-19. Every team has dealt with these things. It's on a spectrum, you know, varying degrees. Uh, but the, the ending numbers are pretty ugly. I mean, the Vikings as a team are giving up just under 400 yards per game and right around 30 points per game. It's just, it's extremely, extremely difficult to win. 
when that's the kind of production you're allowing the other team on average to to come up with. Uh, that's a that's a big yikes. Uh, that's, that's a t- that's a tough situation. Would you say then that that's a real reflection on their depth or something else? So like, it was always going to be a transition year, right? It was always going to be a bit of a step down from past years. Like I know, so the past year, so this year was about 393 yards per game on average and about 30 points. Whereas last year was 340 and 19 points, right? So we're talking about a 60 yard difference ish and about an 11 point difference. Now we, I think most people expected, I think the coaches, the team, fans, I think people who follow this team, everyone expected there to be some sort of drop-off because there was such an exodus of talent, veteran, legit talent, guys who have been, and maybe weren't necessarily fully there at that point, but guys who have been all pro Pro Bowl players, losing those guys hurts. And uh, Minnesota did have a disproportionately high number of young players and rookies on their roster. You know, they, they drafted 15 players. No one that that's a historically large draft class. That's a no one's ever drafted 15 players, right? And so it's it is fair to say that they had maybe uh they were dealing with perhaps more than uh other teams in that sense. And then the the injuries that have accompanied that again, Zimmer's coming into this thinking to himself, you know, okay, we still have Hunter and Pierce, so we still have elite options of the D line, we still have Byron Kendricks. You know, Mike Hughes and Holton Hill are two young, promising guys entering their third year. They're going to take a step forward a corner. But part of the issue, I mean, so one thing is you lose those guys, and now you have to rely on your depth, which is important. But even then, the depth got injured, right? And so, like, this past game against Detroit, Afidio Denebo and Jalen Holmes, who have been the two, these are two, you know, basically backup defensive ends who have been starting all year where they were hurt. And then a linebacker, you had third string guys, right, playing. I know Eric Wilson is a primary backup. Todd Davis could be a backup. But for a lot of the season, you're dealing with your fifth and sixth and seventh linebackers rather than your third and your fourth. And it's the same thing at at corner. I mean, these are guys signed off the street were playing in this game yesterday. We're probably, from where we started in September to who was playing yesterday at corner, we were probably seventh or eighth or ninth down the list. And so we're not even at, we're getting to a point where we're not even playing backups. It's not even your normal depth. It's, it's kind of beyond. And so there's got to be, I know there's frustration with Zimmer, especially since sometimes he can be so prickly and sometimes he can be so stubborn. Uh, So he, sometimes he invites this kind of criticism, but there does need to be, uh, there does need to be, uh, some grace in the sense there's an old football saying that says it's about the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. And the idea being that at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to the players in the field. The players are the ones who are important. And it's, it's not so that the scheme is important. The play calls are important. Uh, but if you don't have the Jimmys and the Joes, if you don't have the players and the talent, it's extremely, extremely difficult. Yeah. And I think I commented, to you as I really started to focus on this team as I started to watch that this defense just felt a step behind yes. most of the year like you have you play some of these teams and, and we got firsthand experience to see some of these defenses uh, over the last few weeks not not as much Detroit but Chicago and and the Saints for sure 
just what it looks like to have a really top-notch defense and the way that they attack. And it's just the Vikings defense always felt like a step behind. It was a little bit of resistance of, of jumping in and, and these plays that maybe would only go for a couple yards just felt like they were always going for five or six yards. Yeah. And you just, you yeah. can't have a defense and have success like that. And I think that the the point differential that you mentioned between these last two years uh, yeah. is, is significant. And I, I would always take more stock in that versus the yards because I think sometimes yards can be misleading uh, yes. depending on games, circumstances. And sometimes you get these drives at the end of the game that, that are meaningless additions of, of 80 yards or whatever it may be. Um, so looking ahead then, do you see, and, and maybe this is a, a, a softball question, but do you see this defense being solved more via the draft or free agency? I think probably the easy answer is both. But yeah, but yeah. what do you what do you foresee this offseason, or what are you kind of hoping? I guess as a fan, this offseason looks like. Honestly, I think most of the improvement doesn't even come from either of those. It comes internally. It comes mm-hmm. like if you get Byron Kendricks back. That's a big deal. If you get Daniil Hunter back, that's a big deal. Because, like, I know I know Daniil Hunter is only one player, but it's a domino effect, right? When So not only do you have this one guy who uh, puts forth elite production, but then that, that – and so he's – there's that one kind of individual thing. But that impacts everybody else. That means a better matchup for your second defensive end. It means less attention to your three technique, who's hopefully trying to push the pocket. And so my hope is that it's mostly going to be internal growth, getting guys healthy, and then having the Cameron Danslers and the Jeff Gladneys in the world, you know, make big improvement going into their sophomore year. Dan- Dantzler was excellent since the bye. And uh, so the hope is that he continued to be excellent and hopefully even, you know, keep improving, you know, and the same thing with Gladney. And so I think that, that's probably going to be your number one source of improvement. And then from there, I'd expect, I don't expect the Vikings to be big players in free agency, but I also think the concerns about their cap are a little bit overblown. There are a lot of avenues to uh, free up money. And I think that they will have the flexibility to at least bring in one or two impact players. That doesn't mean it's going to, they're going to get the big, the big fish, whoever that might be. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if they added one or two really nice pieces. And then again, in the draft, it's going to be a priority. They have double digit uh, draft picks. Again, I think they have 10. And so keep, you know, keep in mind, you have seven rounds. And so we've Spielman again has got him to a, got himself to a point where he has more draft picks than there are rounds, which is always where he wants to be. And uh, I would expect defense to be a big priority. Uh, the one thing that's a little discouraging right now when you look at the draft is that one, uh, we don't have a second round pick because that was traded for Yannick Ngakwe and that didn't work out. Uh, so that's disappointing because, I mean, second rounders regularly come in and are impact players. Uh, but then two, it looks to be a weak draft for the defensive line. Not that I know anything about evaluating prospects, but everything I've read suggests that if you're looking for an edge rusher or a D tackle, uh, they're not going to be as plentiful as in past years. doesn't mean that there aren't good ones there. There are, but it just means that the draft isn't quite as deep at these positions as it has been in the past. And so I would put almost in that 
order in a sense where I would say probably it's going to, the main growth and main improvement is going to come internally. And then from there, I'd probably say, I wouldn't even be surprised if free agency was a bigger deal than the draft. Hmm. And, and I think that's super exciting as a fan hearing that, like I, like I've said, I'm not super connected with the, the Vikings franchise, although it feels like as time goes on, I feel more and more passionate uh, as, as time goes on. But to know that your greatest hope is internally has yeah. to feel super, that has to be a bright spot in terms of, in terms yeah. of, of hope for, for this next season, that, that some of the answers to those issues, especially the rush um, and, yeah. and different factors are, are there. Yeah. I, I don't know if this will make people feel happy or sad, maybe both, but the past two, not this year, not 2020 because he didn't play, but the past two seasons before that Hunter had 14 and a half sacks, which is, which is a really nice number. If, if you're getting double digits at sacks, getting into the mid teens, you've, you've done quite well for yourself. No one on the Vikings has more than three sacks. None, none of their defensive linemen has more than three. The, the sack leader for the season was Ngakwe, who hasn't played for us since week six. Yikes. He has, he has five. And so it's, it's just been so ugly uh, on D-line. Um, I would expect the Vikings to try and address it at some point in the draft and or free agency because they really desperately need a talent infusion. But getting Hunter back, it's like getting that number one centerman in hockey. It just, the whole lineup, it changes the whole complexion, how your team feels, because now the matchups are different. And now you can really go toe-to-toe. So it's not to say that Hunter's going to solve all our problems. He won't. But he is a massive, massive addition. And so hopefully those earlier rumors about him maybe wanting a new contract and potentially pushing for a trade hopefully those things have been overblown and hopefully the vikings are able to come up with some sort of solution here because having hunter back in the lineup especially if it also comes with michael pierce who can be he can be he has the capacity to be uh, an elite one technique man that makes a big difference makes a big big difference yeah yeah and i think before we transition to our last down i don't know if you want to preview our our next week um episode and, and our guest sure. yeah so next week we're gonna uh so thus far sam and i have just been doing uh like these like post-game discussions and that's really good but obviously uh the games are done like we, we didn't make the playoffs and so there are no more games and so we're kind of transitioning to you know assessing the season and uh looking forward to next year and and then of course bringing guests on and so I, I know last week we talked about an article from Blitzology.com, uh, the opening script, which is, again, you should, you should go read that article. If you're a football fan, uh, go read that article and you'll, you'll come away with a better understanding of how uh, offensive coaches strategize, Blitzology.com. And so there, uh, the gentleman who runs that site, owns that site and writes, Brian, he's a, an, a coach in Division II. He's a defensive coordinator. And he's going to be our guest next week. And he's been, I know that last I heard from him, he was uh, grinding through some Vikings tape and, uh, and prepping. And so we're really looking forward to having Brian on the show next week and being able to kind of pick his brain to talk defense uh, and to talk about really, you know, how, 
this Vikings team can be improved and kind of where they, where they were this year and hopefully where they can get to in 2021. Yeah, no, I'm. It's, we're super excited and super thankful that that someone of his stature is is going to be coming on to to meet with us rookies. And uh, anyways, we we're looking forward to that, and we want for people to know so that you guys can be looking forward to that that episode. And we'll talk a little bit more about programming and what that looks like uh, at the end of the episode. But yeah, just wanted to as we were talking about the defense, wanted to highlight that that we will talk more about this and that. Uh, we'll have even someone that's that's more qualified for than uh, than for sure for me than me to to come in and and yeah evaluate what what this team has. Um, our last down, we want to talk about the playoffs. It's sad that the Vikings aren't there. Um, although looking at the quality of these teams, uh, they they don't belong no. there right now. Yeah. Hopefully next year. But I think it's always fun to do some some predictions, and we're not going to try to predict each game because. That just never goes well, and it will end up just getting being shoved back in our face. But what we want to do is we want to not that we feel like people are are angry or anything. It's just it. Uh, what we do want to do is we want to choose one Super Bowl pick from each conference. So the team that we think will represent each conference in the Super Bowl, uh, and then also another team. And, and initially, I said like a, a dark horse, but I think that. It's hard to even almost, almost have a dark horse because there are a lot of good teams. And so I think there are for sure some teams that are a step below here that it would be very impressive if they got there. But maybe even just one, like a dark horse team or a team that you're really cheering for or a team that you would really like to see have success. Um, so, yeah, the first pick is, is a Super Bowl pick, the team that we think will represent the conference. The second one, maybe even just a team that you're just hoping sure. wins a game. Um, and if they end up in the Super Bowl, then that would be that would be fantastic. Sure. Um, Should I start yeah. off? Yeah. Why don't you start off? What, let's let's start in the uh, in the AFC. Yeah. This is. I mean, this is going to be such a boring pick, but it's just hard to pick against the Chiefs. Uh, I was talking to a buddy recently, and he was saying how the Chiefs kind of struggled against Atlanta, and they did. I guess, but you kind of get the sense that it's a little bit like LeBron James sometimes where you you see him play these inferior teams and they get beat in the regular season and he just looks bored, you know what I mean? And then, But then he gets to the playoffs and he starts trying and of course he's excellent. And so I almost feel it's the same way with the Chiefs sometimes, like when they play the Falcons, like how do you get motivated for a week 16 matchup with Atlanta when you're basically locked into the top spot in your conference or, you know, pretty near and so I would, the AFC is strong there. You're just looking at the, you know, the weakest teams are at 11 and five. And, uh, you know, you're going to have your hands full, I think, with most teams there. The Colts and the Browns, I think, are kind of a clear step below the rest of the teams. But uh, to me, I think this is probably Kansas City coming out of the AFC. Yeah, I, I would agree. Part of me wants to disagree with you because that's just a lot more fun. Yeah. I will say that uh, before this year, before I decided that uh, I was allowed to spend money on sports, I have a little antenna I got from Dollarama. And the only games, because we're in Canada, the only games that I would get uh, at least consistently week to week was the Buffalo Bills. And so I've gotten to watch this team for the last few years and really watch Josh Allen play. And even from his rookie season, 
I like I'm a quarterback person. I love watching quarterbacks. I love evaluating them and seeing how they operate. And and my dad was a quarterback in university. And so I just have always been super drawn to the position. And I've really enjoyed what I've seen from Josh Allen. And so I'm I'm really hoping that the the Bills can challenge the Chiefs if they're able to get there. There's obviously yeah. a few, there's gonna be some things that have to go their way. Um I would love to see them challenge the Chiefs and and I think that they may be their greatest competition, although there are a lot of good teams here. Um, but yeah. I think I would have to go for the Chiefs as well. Um, is there a team sure. there that you you have as a dark horse or a, a team that you just would love to see them have some success? In terms of the AFC, the team that I would be, I'd be thrilled if either the Browns or the Bills had success. Uh, just because, I mean, both of them are lovable losers, kind of like the Vikings. And so it'd be nice to see one of these two teams. And then you have Vikings connections with each. Stefanski is coaching the Browns. Stephon Diggs is with the Bills. And I have kind of wondered to myself, so Josh Allen deserves credit for sure. He's had an excellent year. But how much of his improvement can be attributed to just throwing the ball at Stephon Diggs, who uh, has a habit of making his quarterback look good? Um, but in any case... I would be thrilled if either the Browns or the Bills made some noise. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, the Browns have definitely been a team that I would love to see when this is yes. uh, like I, as someone who is very mild mannered and by the rules and tries to do what I can, I love watching quarterbacks with a lot of, I don't know, swagger. Like I, yeah. I, Baker Mayfield is just so much fun to me to watch and yeah. to see like it's just it's always exciting um i'm also i i talk with kyle i'm i'm i enjoy watching someone like colin coward uh who's a real yeah. uh yeah. what is it uh a, a poop disturber um yeah it's true and and he always has this back and forth with baker mayfield and i would just love to see him win a game i think this like i think the way that these playoff series have been um, these playoff games have been lined up. It's just so perfect, like to have the Browns play the Steelers uh, and even yeah. the Titans and the Ravens. Like these just feel like such great games. But to see Baker win a, a playoff game and even just like if he can win two, like that would just be so much fun. And yes. so I would yeah. absolutely love for that to be um, for that to be a reality. So that's that would be easily my my dark horse team. Um, moving over to the NFC, who who would you say who are you predicting is coming coming for uh, the Super Bowl from that from the division? From the, the NFC is pretty depressing because you get the Packers and the Saints right there at the top, which is awful uh, to see. Um, I hate to pick one of those two. I think there's a pretty good case to be made that these are the two best teams in the conference. I mean, no one in the NFC East has any business being in the playoffs. Washington's not going to, I mean, you should respect them because their D line is really, their D line is really good. And so I, I suspect that they'll get some respect, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, in spite of my better judgment, I'm going to pick Seattle as my, uh, as my go-to team here to uh, to represent the NFC. Just because I am a big believer in Russell Wilson. I do think that Russell Wilson is a very, very good quarterback. 
and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, they'll let Wilson lean on those two receivers. They got two elite receivers, Lockett and Metcalf, and hopefully that defense can, uh, you know, be improved and be better. And uh, we'll see, I suppose. They they start against the Rams, or uh, yeah, that's right. They're opening against the Rams, so. Mm. It's it's not going to be easy, but I, I'm going to put me down for the Seahawks. Interesting, yeah. I I would love to choose the Seahawks, um, and actually I'll I'll talk about them later. Um, I I would say that I I'm not a huge fan, or I haven't like been a fan of one specific team. I think that's the thing I love about football is just to be able to watch each team, and I'm just hoping that we have a lot of great games. If I was to pick a team. Uh, it would be the Packers, and I know that's probably a terrible thing to say on a Vikings podcast. Um, and and it's I, I I it's no no diehard allegiances, but I don't want to pick both the top seeds in each in each division or each conference because that just feels uh, real lame. I'm gonna go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as wow. my Super Bowl okay. pick, and I think that. I'm not a huge believer, I guess, in Tom Brady, but I do think that the situation he has there with that offense, I guess we'll see what happens with Mike Evans. I know that he had an injury yesterday and yeah. hoping that that's nothing serious. Um, but I I would love, like I think just from storyline uh, perspective, but also just from what I've seen from that team, watching them play uh, against the the Vikings and seeing some of their their games, I think that, like, really, you're talking about a team pulling it together for, for a few games here, and and who can win. And I think that Brady, his presence, more so, I think, just just as a as a person, as a character in that environment, with all the the weapons that they have, and I, I would say a, a respectable defense, uh, that that would be my team. And that's a that's a that maybe belongs more in the dark horse, um, but. But as I've been thinking about this over the last 24 hours, that's my that's my pick. Okay, that that's okay. I'm I'm surprised the Bucks because I just they're just kind of they're 11 and five. There's talent, but they just don't. They just feel a little disjointed. They're just not quite there, and it's kind of felt that way all year. But if they get hot at the right time, then who knows? Yeah. No, absolutely, and and this is uh, like I said, this is this is a bull pick, and maybe I'll, I'm going to keep going. I'm I'm breaking order because uh, it'll break into my next point. But I actually, the team I'm cheering for, the team I'm putting in that second category is dark horse or just favorite is is the Seahawks, and okay. I like it's it feels weird to choose my Super Bowl team as the team that's in the lower lower seed. I have a hard time with the Seattle defense. Um, yeah. putting a ton of faith in them being the Super Bowl contender. But like you said, I love R- Russell Wilson, just a fantastic player. And um, watching DJ, uh, DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett this year, I, I actually had had both of them in our fantasy league that, that we did with Kyle. And and both were actually playable, uh, which was kind of fun to to have these two guys there. But watching them play and, and watching Russell Wilson there, and as long as kind of – they they let him do what he can do, and the defense can can be opportune and and take advantage of 
of those things. I, I think that the Rams is a is a fascinating first round matchup. Um, it is. Yeah, I just I just feel like like I don't know if you could have scheduled this any better. These these playoff matches, like I don't know if there's some historic rivals that you could have maybe matched up against each other, but I just feel like yeah. each of these games just has such a neat appeal to to them. So, anyways, Bucks is my as my Super Bowl pick, and and Seattle is my as my fan heart kind of uh kind of pick okay it's interesting i i'd say that there's no one really desirable frankly in the nfc uh there's a couple divisional opponents which i'm not going to cheer for the bears or the packers never going to ever cheer for the saints you know maybe i don't even think washington deserves to be in the playoffs but maybe i'll say washington in a sense just because i love their defensive line chase young is really impressive yeah and so maybe Maybe it'd be neat to see them do some stuff, but then even so, I, officially I'll pick Washington. But with the Seahawks, uh, they're kind of the team that the Vikings want to become. You know, for the past decade they've been year in year out competitive, and they've done that with a defensive head coach who prioritizes establishing the run. And I know that the Legion of Boom and that whole thing is kind of done now. But for the good portion of that, probably the majority of that, it was because of a dominant defense. You know, and, and Wilson has elevated and kind of bridged the gap since their defense has taken us, you know, a bit of a step back. But the Seahawks, their model has been extremely successful. And it's kind of the model that the Vikings are also pursuing. And so there'd be, to me at least, there'd be a little bit of satisfaction in the sense of knowing that, yes, you can win by pursuing this strategy and having this kind of head coach and these kind of priorities. And so I, on the record, Washington is my dark horse kind of, it'd be fun, but maybe Seattle for both in a sense. Hmm. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. So anyways, we're, we're looking forward to playoffs. I know it's sad to not have your team there, but in some ways um, you've been freed from, from the, 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 stress of, of approaching that and, and can just enjoy some some good football yeah um, so anyways we want to just wrap up I want to do just a quick hockey update here I know we've talked about the world juniors the last couple of weeks and just want to highlight a couple wild players that have had some different advancements I guess and and I mentioned last week that um, Kusnadinov who I actually feel like it's probably easier to just call him uh, Merritt because that's his his first name I know that a lot of of writers that I've seen refer to him as that because it's not an easy last name to say. Yeah. Um, anyways, he's he's been moved to the first line with Amirov, who's a Leaf Leaf prospect who I've been a huge um, anyways, I, the Leafs are, are are my equivalent to Kyle's Vikings um, and then Polkosin from, from Vancouver. Those have just been, it's just been a dynamic line and he has belonged there and I would say it's probably one of the top lines of the, of the whole world junior tournament um maybe top three and so it's been a lot of fun and he is quickly shown i think that he deserved to be drafted higher than than 37th this year um i believe it was 37th it was anyways in the second round he uh he's blown there and so that's been a, a super exciting thing i think for for wild fans i think also you look at rossi we've talked about him and his team just struggled. Like they just got absolutely smoked. They had one one goal tournament, and they were in a di- like a absolutely difficult pool. 
uh, of teams. And so really he didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to show really anything. It's just, it was not a good spot for him in terms of being able to showcase. And from the writers I've, I've read, particularly Scott Wheeler from the athletic, um, Cal and I are big fans of, of the athletic and, and what they do and, and their quality writing. And I know he mentioned that so many people have reached out to him. Rossi has been the person that he's had the most questions about in terms of like, what do we take from this performance? And uh, is it him or is the team? And, and what do we do with this? But realistically, he was saying that like, there, there is no concerns from, from this tournament, from his output. He didn't, he wasn't, he was on the ice for their one goal, but he, he didn't get a single point. Um, but when he is in the NHL and lining up against NHL caliber players and, and has those on his line, that this will be when he truly shows his stuff. So uh, anyways, I think that as fans, it's it's hard sometimes, although we know rationally that it never makes sense to draw any kind of conclusions from from a four-game tournament in terms of the, the long-term output of a player. But we're super uh, – anyways, no no fears – I think that there's there's a lot of bright future ahead for for the Minnesota Wild, which is super exciting for a team that's been kind of stuck in the middle for 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 too long. That's exciting for I think again. So if you're a Vikings fan, you should know what it feels like to have a horrible offensive line and to maybe not. I mean, it wasn't we didn't always have great wide receivers. You know, it's easy to forget that like ten years ago, this really wasn't the case. So you, I almost think of Marco Rossi, you know, if he was this promising young quarterback prospect, but just had this awful offensive line and no receivers, man, it's just tough to to make plays in, in those conditions. And I, I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on him personally. I think what Sam was saying is true, that he'll probably end up looking a lot better within a different structure. And then with Kustodinov, you know, that's encouraging. So they're they're playing Canada tonight. And so for Wild fans, that'll be you know, a game to tune into, right? Because you can see if if your rebuilds, if when you're rebuilding a team, I'm, I'm a Red Wings fan, so I'm experiencing this myself. If you're solely re- relying on your high first round picks, it's just going to take for It'll just never happen. Like you need to hit on some of these second and third and down the drafts. And so for Kuzinov, if he's outplaying that second round great already, then that, that's pretty encouraging. Oh, absolutely. And, and you look like the... The biggest criticism of the Wild right now would be their center ice position. Right. Uh, like they've they've got uh, Johansson right now lined up as Marcus Johansson lined up as their number one center, which uh, it's not like it's not 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 great. I it would I would say it's it in terms of where they're at, they've got one of the best defenses in the league, but in terms of their center ice position, it's one of if not the weakest in in the entire NHL. And so to have someone like Rossi to have someone like Kustodinov to have Kaprasov to have Boldy who's been I was reading someone said um, Zegers has been their best player but Boldy's been almost their most important just in the dynamic that he he provides and and as a real power forward like he is just one of those perfect compliments to a top six that often top six lineups miss and so those four there is like that that's just super bright and you don't want to count on like people know um and i think how you mentioned with with the vikings you got guys that do take that step and make that adjustment to to accomplishing what their potential is and sometimes 
you have guys that don't. And so there's no way that everyone's going to accomplish their ceiling, but there is super, there's definitely a lot of things to be excited for. And for sure, the we're as, as Canadians were, uh, I would say stressed about, about the game tonight. I think that Russia uh, is always a, a battle yeah. for us. Yeah. Lots to look forward to. I, I, I want to say from, from the or from the wild in terms of in terms of some of these guys coming up that's encouraging okay so for me so are we good for the word of wisdom i think absolutely and so uh uh, beginning of the year means that i reset my bible reading plan and so i'll i'm back to genesis and I'll, i'll read my way through the bible this year and so one thing that i was thinking about as i get through uh the pentateuch is opening five books of the bible where you get the law uh it can i mean at least to me uh sometimes it's quite boring and tedious you get these small details and uh uh, sometimes i struggle my eyes glaze over uh but the point that i'm trying to make and the point that i'm trying to draw out here is that uh for god uh these small details were really really important uh and they were taken down and they should have been adhered to and and that was important to him. Uh, in football, the small details really, really matter. And this year we saw the Vikings on special teams, on defense, not fill your gap, not tackle well, not block on your punts, not secure the ball when you're the punter. You know, we these small details, the long snapping was off, right? Like these things that a lot of times you wouldn't think about or you would assume or you'd hope would be basic. Man, when you don't have them, you see just how important they are. And so this is an offseason where, yes, the Vikings need to, they need a talent infusion. We need more talent. That's true. But we also need to recommit to these small details. Uh, They're extremely important. And uh, you don't win. You don't succeed in football unless you take care of the details. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, we want to thank everyone for listening. And, And like I said, we... We've been going every week, uh, and it's been fun. We've we really have just caught the the last little bit of the season, last quarter and a bit of of the season, and we're looking forward to being able to start next year and have a, a full season. And what we've wanted to do is we really wanted to give fans the opportunity to break down and, and process the game. And we've been working to record right after, um, within 24 hours after games, and so that people have content to look forward to Monday at at around lunchtime and so we want to continue to to produce uh and and post our stuff in the same time slot but uh we will have an episode next week and then during the off season we'll go every two weeks uh, so you, just so people are are know what what we're doing and what we're producing we just feel like with what's happening we have lots of things that we're excited to talk about in the off season and so we're really looking forward to that and we've got like Kyle mentioned we've got interviews next week and and we have another guest in a couple of weeks' time that we will preview. But just for people to be aware, we will have an episode next week, and then we'll be going every two weeks uh, until we start the next season up, unless there's some big news where we might have uh, an emergency emergency uh, episode to to catch people up. Anyways, we want to thank everyone for listening, and be sure to stop by thevikingsgazette.com for great Minnesota Vikings news, commentary, and analysis. The Vikings Gazette can be found on Twitter at Vikings Gazette. Thanks, everyone, and we will talk with you next week.